You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Raj. Hello and welcome to the Comic Book Informer Podcast. This is Raj coming to you on Tuesday at 7 p.m. Why 7 p.m.? Because if you start drinking at 5, you're called a lush. 7, you're having a good time. <laughs> and we need drinks for this episode because we are going to talk about comics in our What We've Been Reading segment. But for the actual discussion, we're going to discuss a movie. A movie so bad that Stan Lee didn't even appear <laughs> That's how bad it was. And of course, we're talking about Fantastic Four. So I've been looking forward to this. I really have. Not the watching of the show, but just the making you watch the show (laughs) and then talking about it. So when did you actually watch it? Uh, This past Saturday. Okay. Yeah. I... Sunday for me, actually. So, yeah, it was like, wait till the last possible minute. (laughs) Can I watch it an hour and a half before we start the podcast? (laughs) Now, this show (laughs) has got, like, really, really bad review score. Like, really horribly bad everywhere. Catastrophic. Oh, yeah. I I would go so far as say it's been unfair. (laughs) I've seen Uh, more movies than this that scored higher. Oh, yeah, there is that. Yeah, yeah. But I I think everybody kind of jumped on the bandwagon because... It is horrible. It is truly horrible. But I, it, like many things on the internet, everybody jumps on the same bandwagon and has to be the sheep that follow and slam and slam and give it like two out of ten ratings kind of thing. And it is bad, but like you're saying, it wasn't that bad. That said, you can really see how disjointed it was and we already knew that before it even released. I mean, Josh Trank talked about this before he tweeted about it. And you could you could hear his frustration in a tweet. <laughs> That's hard to pull <laughs> off. And you can really hear it. And he's talking about how a year ago he had a fantastic version of the film. And it, he was even saying it would have received great reviews and everything. And he's saying that there was so many revisions that were done by the studio that it screwed up the movie. Which is altogether possible i mean they did have their before that like before they even finished filming like there were quote leaked reports of that the production was a disaster and you know trank was supposedly impossible to work with and his what he was submitting was deemed unworthy like there's so much firing from both sides like i don't know how much of it is true and how much of it is just pushing the blame well the other thing that i wonder is with Trey, because we we did get a lot of reports talking about how unbearable he was on the set to work with and whatnot. But you have to wonder because I I don't I didn't read up on this director beforehand to see what he was like in other movies and and if this is his you know I don't know about like, or behind the just, camera, but the only other major film he's made I actually really liked. Right. So. so what I was thinking is if you were working on a project that you were passionate about. I mean, because it can't always be just a paycheck. They, you know, they're taking movies that they're passionate mm-hmm. about. Well, I'll, I'll assume that about him. And if you've worked at, you know, writing something for it and you really are passionate about it and you keep getting slammed by the studio, 
And and let's be honest, more often than not, if you're looking at where the fault lies, a lot of times it's with the studio. And I would get frustrated too. Mm -hmm. I would be moody on the set. I would get frustrated and not be able to work properly because of the interference from the studio. So I'm certain a lot of the blame is squarely on his shoulders, but I'm thinking that some of it might have been justified just like, let's just get this done and, and that be that. Because, I mean, let's be honest. That's how the studio saw this. Let's just get it out so that we retain the rights to the Fantastic Four. And that's something I didn't actually know, that if they don't release a Fantastic Mm -hmm. Four in seven years, they lose the rights to it. So this wasn't about putting out the best Fantastic Four movie possible. That's why it was trimmed almost an hour, if not more than an hour, because he was looking at doing it, what, two hours, 30 minutes? Do you have any any idea how big of a sigh of relief I let out when I finally went to watch it and realized it was only an hour and a half? Yeah, really. I was like, oh, thank God. But yeah, they turned it right back to cut a ton of stuff off cost because, again, the studio didn't give a rat's ass Mm -hmm. about this. They just wanted, they just needed to get it out to retain the rights. It's also one of those things, though, like, okay, you know, apparently he had a different vision for the final film. And even if Fox hacked it and edited it, the scenes that they left in weren't all that great. Yeah, no, no. I, I don't know. Like, what better movie could have been built out of these same parts? I see a lot of the problems that I have are actually the, the cast and also the story that he decided to tell. Now, they did the whole oh, thing. You of, mean another reinterpretation of Ultimate X-Men or Ultimate, Ultimate Fantastic, Fantastic Four? Four? Yeah. Which and, I don't know why Fox is so infatuated with basing their movies off of like that basic concept. Because that was a crap comic failed, to begin with. Yeah, failed comic. Why not go with the actual one that's successful? No, go with this crap. I mean, think of what they could have done with, like, stuff that Hickman did and whatnot. They could have picked, cherry-picked fantastic stories using the actual characters and still done their interpretations of it. But this idea of the kids and they're treated like kids all the time just got on my nerves. It right. really got on my nerves. Yeah, they're kids. And we see this all the time with, you know, older actors being asked to be kids. Miles Teller is almost 30. Yeah. <laughs> like Kate Mara is almost as old as I am. Like, I don't know if she's supposed to be at high school age, but maybe not much more than that. I mean, Johnny Storm, you know, he's treated as like a teenager by his father. That dude's 29 years old. <laughs> like it, it completely unbelievable that these characters are supposed to be as young as they're supposed to, even the, even them being like intellectually advanced and whatnot. It was, it was one of the, it just bugged the hell out of me. Like it was a bunch of grown ass adults being treated like kids. Yeah. And even if they would have found, um, actors that in fact were kids to put in the role, I still, that, that concept of mm-hmm. these geniuses working together, kids, and then being defiant and, and all the cliches, all, oh, it didn't work out, we're going to get drunk, and oh, now that we're plastered, we're going to go in the, the machine, and all this crap, and it was just like one cliche after another, and it just pissed me off to no end. At least with the other Fantastic Four, the 10 years, 10, 15 years ago, no, I can't remember. 10 years ago, 10 years, God. yeah, 2005, um, they were more adults. And there were certainly a lot of mm-hmm. issues with that movie, but they were adults and you believed it more and it came off more. This isn't me saying like, that movies with Reed teenagers... Richards is supposed to be a dad. You know, maybe not yeah. actually a dad, but the he figure. should have that, that dad feeling yeah. about him. Yeah. And and so this has none of that. And it just 
felt so stupid and cliched all the time. And then there's the obvious putting Johnny Storm, putting a black man in the role of Johnny Storm. And we talked about this before, and people wigged out about this and whatnot. And after reading a lot more about this and after um, after watching the show as well, I actually have a problem with this too. Not putting him in the role, but putting Kate Mara as the adopted sister. Now, I understand that they want he wanted this idea of a blended family kind of thing, which is true, and you do see that. A lot more now. So I'm cool with that. But you know damn well that at the heart of it, it was that they didn't want an interracial relationship between Reed Mm -hmm. and a black Sue Storm. And that's what bothered me the most. Because you could have had an opportunity to put a fantastic black actress in the role. Now your Fantastic Four are two white people, two black people. You got a lot more diversity. Plus, you'd be putting... Because Johnny's still, like, they made him out to be a lot smarter than he actually is in the comics. In the comics, he's just By the pilot. He's a, he's, a, he's a goofball. Here, he's pretty much yet another genius. And you could have had the Sue Storm character be this strong-willed, intelligent black woman that, you know, Reed falls in love with and have an interracial relationship. Now... Push that forward to the sequel had this done well. Although apparently that doesn't matter. They're already talking about a sequel yes, anyways. They so, have to. Exactly. So think of a sequel where that relationship has progressed and now they have kids. Now you got yourself a, a, an actual blended family where you have, you know, Franklin is is a, a, a mixed race young boy and stuff like that. Like you could... You could have so much more. So I was disappointed because of that. And I thought that was such a freaking cheat. You put way more thought in this than I did. I did. I had to. <laughs> I had to. Now, I will they, say I actually love freaking Jamie Bell as Ben Grimm. For what little bit he was on the screen, he was pretty good. Yeah, I thought he was great. Compared especially to, again, 10 years ago, I, I hated that thing. And Michael Chiklis was great casting, but... It didn't fit. It did not work. It did not work at all. I, it, <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's the thing. You don't even need makeup. <laughs> yeah. So, but this guy, I, I believed it and I liked it. I just, I didn't like the whole thing of, again, how they got the powers as well. And with him, yeah. it's just like the rocks attached themselves to him. And you're thinking, well, hold on a second. Does that mean that he's still, his body is underneath all those rocks? It made no sense to me at all. Well, even more troubling about that is that you know it's the boys that are going off on the great adventure yeah yeah. and leaving one of the fantastic four behind like just conceptually that's atrocious and not to mention you know kind of what it represents and yet she still accidentally gets powers too because she was close enough and got knocked over it that was I i wasn't completely against the movie during the first half like there was a lot i didn't like but I felt that there was some good parts that could have turned into a better movie if they had tried. But by the halfway point, it was irredeemable. <laughs> I see. I didn't even like it at the beginning. I, I, didn't, say, I, I, put, I didn't like it, but they were almost on the right path. I will go even further to say I disagree with that. For me personally, I did not think so at all. I didn't hate it at the beginning. If, I'll put it if that you way. squinted and yeah. kind of covered your ears, you could see a good movie in there. <laughs> I Again, I didn't think it was good, but it wasn't, I didn't hate it yet. I, I didn't hate it until they went to the other dimension. Oh, I, I hated it. I hated it long before that. 
because again, they're they're trying to force this relationship between Reed and Sue as well, but they don't actually try to force it until quite a bit later on. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was something. Again, I understand you want to do your interpretation, but what was in the comics worked. <laughs> so, I mean, trying to do your interpretation that is clearly not going to work. You had Why such good source Why is it so hard to just material. bring those characters in as an already established couple? Why exactly. do we have to see it form on screen? Because Hollywood has always been terrible at that, regardless of what genre of movie it is. And when just, you, just let us accept that, okay, these two people are married and move on. We don't need to see the blossoming romance. There was between, no blossoming between romance. Dirty Reed Richards and boring Sue Storm. There was no romance. The, the only quote-unquote romance was when he was falling asleep and she came by and they giggled for a few mm-hmm. minutes until Doom kind of went, you're hitting on my girl. And that was it. There was no romance at all. So, like, here you are thinking, these two are, like, the freaking power couple in, mm-hmm. in Marvel. They're they're the in ones. Comics. In comics. Exactly. And And... And, and not the Ultimates one. Again, I know that's what they they seem to hold up to. Uh, that is the Holy Grail. But, man, that's the wrong thing to be latching onto. But I can think of a half dozen better versions of the Fantastic Four off the top of my head. Yeah. So all the while, I keep waiting for, again, this relationship to form. It's, it's not like I'm like, oh, I can't wait for this to happen. No, it's just in the back of my my head because I know the comics. I'm thinking, okay, those two are obviously going to hook up at some point. So when's it going to happen? Because as you're watching, there's no moment where you're going, oh, I see a spark between them. And I don't there's know if that's directing chemistry. or if that's the chemistry between the actor because there was none. Granted, Reed Richards, <laughs> Miles Teller. I don't know how anybody could look at that dude in this performance and go, oh, yeah, I want to get it on with you. <laughs> because <laughs> the, if there was a dialed-in performance, in my opinion, that was it in this, too. Him and freaking Doom. I did not like Toby, Kebble, whatever. Yeah, Kebble. I didn't like him either. I thought that casting for him was ridiculous. I hated him in the role. He was one freaking emo hair flip away from, from the worst cliched piece of shit movie imaginable. It was... I didn't like the casting at all. The only dude I really liked, though, Dr. Franklin Storm. He was great. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, he was so awesome. So, of course, they him. had to meaninglessly kill him off in a throwaway scene. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too. It was like, it, it, it meant nothing because it's like, God, is there like a script book rule book that you're going by of all the cliched bullshit that you can put into a comic book movie? Because they were nailed. If there was a drinking game for this, I would have been even more plastered by the end of it. In general, like that was like that was the most hilariously awful rendition of Dr. Doom yet. Like Again, you have who, in my opinion, is the best villain in comics, and they can't even come close to getting him right after two tries. Like, And not only not, not getting him right, they made it worse in <laughs> this one than in the first time around. Like, this, the you know, the big climactic scene, not even the climactic scene, but the, the big emotional scene of him rampaging through the base and killing everybody. I laughed so hard. That scene was hilarious for all the wrong reasons. It, it was stupid. It was stupid. Stupid. It's as if they took all the money that they were going to be putting into that thing fight where he <laughs> drops down and put it into exploding oh, heads instead. I forget, <laughs> I forget what website it was, but I read an article 
that took all of the promotional footage of the film, like from the trailers and the TV spots and, you know, all this and that, and compared it to what was actually in the movie. <laughs> there is a good 20 minutes of footage that we've already seen that aren't in the movie. Yeah. It's it's the Amazing Spider-Man all over again because it was the same thing. There was so much footage we saw of that movie that didn't end up in the final product. And I don't think that is really a model you want to follow. I think it's hysterical that they could have gotten rid of the IP and and hung on to Daredevil because they were saying <laughs> Marvel Studios offered Fox an extension on rebooting Daredevil in exchange for getting back the film rights for Fantastic Four. Now, this is this is funny and and good because it means that a Marvel can get their IPs back as they did with Daredevil. I see. I, that means that they I have could to... potentially get Fantastic Four back at one point because somebody, some bean counter at Fox is going to look at the numbers of what they made from the, all the Fantastic Four movies and then look at X-Men and say, okay, let's just hang on to X-Men and put our money there because this is a sinking ship. Let's just give it back to them. I have to do a little more research because, as I understand it, Fox actually doesn't own the rights to Fantastic Four. They just lease the rights from a third-party company, a film production company out of Germany. They're the ones that actually own the rights really? to Fantastic Four. Yeah. Okay. Because the the god-awful 1995, I think it was, 1994, the Roger Corman movie that never was released, that German company produced it. And the only reason they produced it was to hold on to the rights. Oh. Okay. There's actually a documentary out there I need to see of the behind the scenes of the making of that movie because from day one, the producers knew that it was never going to be released, but nobody working on the movie knew that. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so they were trying their hardest with no money, no support from the studio. And I've seen the movie. It is, it makes this look Oscar worthy. <laughs> All right. All right. So that doesn't excuse us. I'm sorry, no, but this I'm, is... I'm just throwing it out there that it, I think it's a little more complicated than that, but I, I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm not that tuned into. Yeah, but that doesn't make sense because, again, Marvel was giving them the deal so that they could get the rights back. So obviously maybe that they... German company owned those rights, too. Who knows? I, I honestly don't know. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. There was so much that was horrible about yeah, what, what, this. Yeah, what do we what do we tune in on to like talk about? It's just a giant <laughs> How about the fact that the thing is not wearing any pants? <laughs> yeah. I think that that was an important moment. From the first trailer, that was my one takeaway. I was like, where's the thing's pants? See, I didn't even notice that in the trailer. I don't know if I was just not paying attention enough or if I watched it on a small screen and didn't notice, but when I'm watching on the big screen and I'm going... Where the crap are his pants? What the hell? <laughs> Remember when the trailer came out and everybody went, man, that looks so great. I don't remember people saying Oh, I, people were raving. Like, oh, okay. they finally got it right. It looks so good. I was like, and I remember thinking, did they watch the same trailer I did? It was Green Lantern all over again. Everybody loved that trailer. And I went, no, what? That's, that's not right. <laughs> yeah, I... And then the second trailer came out, and it was like, oh, wow, it's even better. Like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> well, that's like, again, at Comic-Con, everybody cheering when they saw the Suicide Squad trailer, and you're going, oh, people, are they pumping something into the air there? Because we're watching <laughs> the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> We're not watching the same thing, because <laughs> this is horrible. I That's one of those movies that I'm, 
I'm going to probably make you watch that. <laughs> I'm not done tormenting you yet. Um, speaking of the actors, now again, we talked on what we thought about a couple of them. Uh, I had actually forgotten that Chris Evans played Johnny yeah. in the first one. I completely forgotten that. I, I kind of blocked was, a lot good. of that original <laughs> from my mind. And uh, yeah, he wasn't bad and he played the role a little bit better. What did you actually think of Jordan's performance? I thought he was okay, but they didn't give him anything to work with. Like, I, it wasn't Johnny. No, it wasn't Johnny, and I'll go you one further. I didn't like it. It's not that I don't like him. I yeah, didn't like it, the performance. I can't judge because his performance in a bad role. It was that acting like a teenager, wrecking the car, being upset mm-hmm. with dad because he's not giving him his car back, and then acting like a douchebag with everybody at the uh, at Baxter Labs. So it's like, okay, well, I got no use for you. And then Miles Teller, like I said, I really didn't have much use for him as Reed Richards either. And I like Jamie and, Bell. And of course, he had to be like the, you know, the stereotypical nerdy type, which yes. again, that's not Reed Richards. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, Reed isn't the most socially acceptable guy, but it's not because, you know, he's freaking Sheldon for Big Bang Theory. It's just because he's very absorbed in his work. That's exactly like, it. You can make that work on screen without making him, you know, just this socially awkward nerd. Well, I much preferred Reed's from 2005 Fantastic Four. Much preferred it. And and that wasn't great, but it was a damn sight better than this. Yeah, it, it was at least the right character. And Kate Mara, I know she's been in a lot and a lot of people like her. I'm really not a huge fan of hers. And I, this was a terrible role for her, I thought. Hey, the, you want to talk about Johnny's character being screwed up. Oh, my God, was this ever ridiculous. Again, Sue Storm is one of the strongest female characters in comics and has always been written as such. Like, it, Reed doesn't mess with Sue. Namor doesn't yeah. mess with Sue. <laughs> That's what's like, telling there. <laughs> and and yeah, Kate Mara, like, she's just... Like, even in House of Cards, which was a fantastic show, her character was not charismatic. Like, I don't know. She's just a very subdued actress. Yes. That can work. But like, when Josh Trank and uh, the writer, I forget his name, told her, don't bother reading the yeah. comics. Yeah. I was like, "That no. <laughs> the movie doesn't have anything to do with the comic storylines. Uh, clearly, the character doesn't have anything to do with it. Either. Like, I was actually reading something last week. She still hasn't seen the movie. Yeah. <laughs> she she read all the reviews and she doesn't want to see the movie that she started. I can't blame her. But again, you're talking about how strong Sue is. Sue is the one that has repeatedly, when somebody gives her a hard time, informed them that she can cut off their air supply or just create a bubble in their brain. <laughs> that she is the most dangerous of the four. And she's right. <laughs> she mm-hmm. is. And you watch... Kate Mara in this role and I don't even think you see her crack a smile until the scene with Richards when he's sleeping I believe Mm -hmm. it's probably about right and it's just this ho-hum attitude like they're they're developing this portal device to go to another goddamn realm and they're all pretty mad about it for the most part. There's some excitement as it works and they do some testing and whatnot, but there's a whole hell of a lot of yeah, another day at the office kind of mentality. Honestly, like in retrospect, 
Sue's character was a better Reed Richards than Reed Richards. Yeah, really. <laughs> it's like, that's how Reed should be, just absorbed in the work, doesn't care about anything else going on. <laughs> and, and she was just, she was a complete non-factor, too. Like, once they got their powers, she was you know, just, she was there. Like, she she had, she turned the thing invisible for a second. Like, that was the entire purpose of her being in yep. the end of the film. Like, it was just... Like they forgot it. Like I said, they didn't even send her on the mission. <laughs> that was the big thing for me too that really pissed me off. Yeah. It wasn't just that I was like, oh, here's another freaking cliche kind of thing. It was like, no, I understand you want to go off on your own little tangent here and do what you want. And that's not the same as the comic books. But even if that's the case, you've got the four dudes going. And obviously they had time to plan because they had to get Ben out of not a yeah, bed. It's not like he lives next door. You had to take a train <laughs> to get there. But no, you couldn't get Sue over. And I'm thinking, oh my God, how freaking insulting to women is that? It was ridiculous. Oh God. And, and like th- on that same that same thought, and again for the second time in a row, why is Fox so insistent on tying Doctor Doom's origin in with the four? Because because that's what they did in the Ultimate Comics. They had the same origin and. That's one of the things that has always made Doctor Doom kind of special that every like the problems he had earlier in his life that led him to being in the suit and all that. They were his fault. They you know, he always blamed Richards because that's the kind of character Doom is. He can't see any flaws with himself. So clearly it has to be somebody else's fault. Like that is the crux of Doctor Doom's character that he screwed up. But him being the type of person he is, he holds that against you know, so the superior intellect, if you will, and forcing for two reboots in a row to tie Doom's origin in with the Four's origin just completely removes that aspect of the character because it's it it's impossible. Like it's impossible for it to be Doom's fault and have him blame Reed. Like they tried that in the first one, but it was like no, it's it was one hundred percent Reed's fault that Doom got his powers. Yeah, I yeah, both versions of Doom. In both of these were were bad, but this one, this one took the cake for me. This was, this was again, again. I keep going back to like these freaking stupid cliches where Doctor Franklin has to go and try to cajole him back into being on the team and being a team player so that they can they can go and and there's that too. <laughs> like here's this guy who at the beginning of the show is like trying to really talk a good, I, I want to say storm, but talk a good game about the kids and that they're a lot smarter than you think and, and we need to keep them here and that's why we need the funding and this and that and whatnot. But you know what? We'll send them to another parallel universe. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> it made a lot more sense when it's just the four of them hijacking a rocket and taking off kind of thing. Okay, but when it's here and it's like the guy who's like the the father to two of them mm-hmm. that's just going to send them to a parallel universe not knowing what's there. And I'm going like, no, no, that would never freaking happen. So mm-hmm. that entire planning aspect of that is it, it, it completely threw me off because, again, yeah, I'm like a parent. Before they had it taken away from them. I was like. From day one, I was like, no, like, yeah, sure. I'm sure he would want his kids working on it, but he was just as adamant that they were going to be part of this mission. I was like, and again, like 
you don't send the scientists. <laughs> I, they're, they're making Tim Blake Nelson to be the bad guy, the Dr. Allen guy, because he's like, okay, we're going to bring in the professionals now. And it's yeah. like, oh, that bastard. I'm going, he's right. <laughs> you're freaking kids. You're not, but you're supposed to be in the movie and you're smart, but you sure as shit aren't supposed to be going into a parallel universe just because the chimp came back and you, you haven't even monitored the chimp for like a few weeks to make sure that there's no long lasting side effects that take a while to to come out no no it was just five minutes ago <laughs> like no he is right <laughs> he didn't deserve to die <laughs> plus i really like him because of old brother where it was horrible <laughs> casting as far as i'm concerned but i like him so much that i was willing to put up with it <laughs> i was waiting for him to start singing at some point <laughs> <laughs> it definitely would have made the movie more interesting. Come out with suspenders on and shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have been better. Okay, let's move on to then the thing. I I kind of dug young Ben. I mm-hmm. like that actor. He was actually pretty good too. And they did a good job with that. I really hated how they took his clobbering time oh. l- slogan and turned it into... That was, he was getting abused by his older brother. And I'm going, uh, why the hell did that have to be in there? There was because, because no they reason. Because some place to put the catchphrase. But that ain't it. He wouldn't continue saying that as an adult if that's the catchphrase mm-hmm. that was used on him when he was beat up by no, his I sibling. agree 100%. It was so, I, I had even read about that on Twitter, like, the day the movie came out. And, like, I... I was by myself. I was in my car eating lunch and I let out an audible groan yeah. when I read that. Unbelievable. Unfreaking believable. Still, at least again, that character, I, I like the acting more. But when you're looking at what they did to him as well, he's forced into mm-hmm. these missions. Whereas in the comic, he's a Marine. He is. And that that's a large part of who he is as a character. Large mm-hmm. part of who he is. And his... And his independence from the four as well, from the Fantastic Four, because he was somebody that he respected himself because he was a Marine and he'd done good and things like that. And now it's like, no, he's forced into servitude by a a, a military force. And it's like, oh, my God. So at every turn with him, again, he's he's caged only let out to destroy things and then put back in his cage and given horrible lines. So they, they had again, a good actor, the CGI, I will say with the exception of the no pants, the CGI, I loved it. It it looked like the thing. It looked fantastic. Much better than 2005, which wasn't CGI, but that was horrible. I thought that was horrible, but this looked great. And so, again, you got a good character, good, strong character. The only CGI in the movie that was good. Yeah. And they could have tacked in the Alicia character as well. This is the first time they don't use her. And that would have given him even more depth and made it even better. But it would have tacked on screen time, which they were trying to reduce. Mm-hmm. But, again, he was the, the, the one that I was like, really... I kind of like this kid. He's doing all right. And uh, you can see his little cocky attitude, but he's not acting like an emo teen. And and then they screwed him up at every turn from then on. Yeah, it was like the scene where he's watching like the, the debriefing of his mission. Yeah. And it's just racking up the kill count. And I was like, 
if they pan around and the rock man is crying, I'm done. <laughs> and, and they were close. Little pebbles coming out of his eyes. <laughs> God, and then there's obviously the end too, where it's like, what are we going to call ourselves? Someone thought this was a good idea. Someone at some point, whether it was writing staff, him as a director, someone thought, oh, this will be good. This is how we want. Will love this. This is going to be the cheering moment where they're like, yeah, Fantastic Four. That was so groan-worthy, I almost stopped it before it was done. It's got to be pretty bad for me to do that, and I very, very nearly did. Because it's not like it's a surprise. (laughs) Everybody knows the name they're going to choose, and they're playing this game of, are they going to say it? Are they going to say it? No, they're not going to say it. I was like, you, come on. All right, you got any parting thoughts? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I still feel good that I made you watch it. <laughs> to I, me, that's I, all that matters. I didn't completely hate it. I just mostly hated it. Oh, I, I completely hated it. Again, beginning parts were I did not like, but I didn't necessarily hate. But it grew into hate so fast. <laughs> What what is the saying? Light into darkness and <laughs> the, the stars thing. <laughs> I was full on Sith mode at the end. That's what I was uh, ready to zap some motherfucker because of it. Yes, I'll bleep that out, but <laughs> I had to say it. <laughs> okay, let's move on to what we're reading. We touched on this in the outtakes during yesterday's gaming podcast episode, which, by the way, folks, go to For the Lore and uh, listen to our last episode. It was actually our six-year anniversary, and we had a lot of fun. If you're easily offended, skip the outtakes. (laughs) I say that with love in my heart (laughs) and taking responsibility for the fact that I may have said a few things that (laughs) some might see as inappropriate. (laughs) I thought it was hilarious. But I decided to leave it in. Because I was still a little in the bag while I was editing. <laughs> so if you're a kid listening to this, because we don't swear on this podcast, don't listen to it. But everybody else, have fun. Okay. Oh, yeah, that'll work, Raj. Good job. Yeah. Um, we touched on injustice mm-hmm. and just how amazing this always, always is. I was two issues behind. So I read the last two, which center a lot on, you know, you've got this big freaking Poseidon versus Aquaman battle going on. And all I care about is freaking Harley (laughs) (laughs) stuff going on with Harley is all that matters. And the fact that she's going up against these guys without taking the green pill and whooping their asses. Yes. (laughs) And then when she finally takes the pill, it's like, okay, now let's go. It's like, Oh, you are so freaking awesome. And I love how Shazam, too, is always like, she's really insane. <laughs> I freaking love this stuff. I It, it just continues. To, when she's ripping the faces off of the creature and they're like, oh, my God. It's, she's like, did you throw up? Gross. You were just ripping faces off a creature. <laughs> it is uh, both issues were freaking awesome. I loved it. If you're going to bring a character back from the dead. Have fun with it. Yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. I absolutely loved it. And and it was nice, too, because it was a nice break from 
the stuff that we had been seeing with all of the tensions arising with all of the gods and the war with the gods and the Superman's team and this and that. So this was the perfect time to, okay, we're going to take a break from that for this nonsense, but it's awesome nonsense and you're going to love it. (laughs) Did you, uh, did you hear the news today? Oh God. Is it good news? Yes. Okay, then no, I didn't. What is it? Apparently, year five is going to be the final year for Injustice. How is that good news? Tom Taylor is doing a one-shot. That's still not good news. He's coming back to write one issue. That's still not good news. The fact that it's ending, that's bad news. It has to end. No, it does not. Are you kidding me? No, it does not. Have you seen what they're publishing? No, it does not have to end. I'm just saying, conceptually, it has to end. Because like I said, once the comic series ends is where the video game starts. There's only so much story they can cram in between. Oh, no, not no. saying I don't want them to continue. I'm just saying they can't go on much longer. I disagree wholeheartedly. Uh, did you catch up with the uh, Civil War? Yes. Dude, this is freaking awesome. This Jeez, is this, uh, this is ramping up like nobody's business here. Full on freaking battle mode and everything. I this was awesome. I really and like them this. throwing the twist of the secret invasion in there. Yep. Like that's something that in another comic I would have groaned at, but it worked so well. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, I like that. Again, a lot of the stuff that we read now, we look at these events and they're always wrapped up with a bow at the end kind of thing. Well, not always, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean. And and if not, it's just retconned later on, which we saw with some of the Civil War stuff with Spidey, especially and whatnot. This is, when I'm reading it, I'm seeing it as what if all of those things, you're reading the repercussions of those mm-hmm. years later kind of thing. And that really puts an extra layer of depth to everything that not just this story what if everything marvel promised us about civil war changing everything had been actually true. been true yeah and so it gives weight to not only the original event but then this by virtue of that so all of these things are just freaking awesome so yeah i really love this yeah it's it's one of the best uh, secret wars ties and tie-ins did you read the last batman i did it was a one-off Mm-hmm. And I didn't like it. No, and it's not because it was a it was... well-made comic. Nah, I just—I didn't it, even think that. I, I didn't like going back to Bruce. Like, even if yeah. it's kind of like a prequel, like extra information for what we're seeing with uh, Jim. I don't want to go back to Bruce right now. Yeah, I've I, I've had Bruce for seventy-six years. <laughs> I I just point blank didn't like the story either. Yeah. I mean, the story was really nothing original. It, it I, went back to that zero year, which I didn't like in the first place. Yeah. I I really just had no use for this. And what it served to do was just slam the brakes on mm-hmm. on a runaway freight train. And it's like, no, you want to ride that thing because it was interesting. I might not have agreed with everything that was going on and I might have had issues. But I was still invested. And, and I mean, you get that also from, did you read The Last Batman Beyond? Uh, maybe. So he's talking about he's having problems with the suit. And this is version, what did he say, version three or no, something? I think like I must have missed one then. Okay, so he's having problems with the suit. They need to go and get another suit. So him and Babs head over to the Batcave, of course. And they're going to get another suit for him. And they keep calling the Batman Beyond suit. Oh, what is it they're saying? I can't remember if they're saying like this is version three or if it was a much higher number. You mm-hmm. have to forgive me. I read this week 
and a bit ago. Um, but anyways, they go back to the um, the Batcave and they're looking through and there's the old classic suits that we we mm-hmm. we know. And then she's going, okay, so here's version one that you're going to have to use. And it's the suit that Gordon's wearing right now in Batman. <laughs> and it was like, okay, that's awesome. That's a way to tie it in together now because you don't get enough of that tie in mm-hmm. from the beyond to the actual canon kind of thing. So that was freaking awesome. I love that. Nice. Lastly, Darth Vader. Why? Because Darth freaking Vader. <laughs> you don't need to explain why. Um, not nearly enough of the crew in this one and a lot of, of, of him, of Darth Vader, but it was still really good. And mm-hmm. I really am digging the relationship between him and the freaking new dude that he's oh going to eventually my kill off. It's only a matter of time. We know it's not it. going to end well, but it's a matter of how. Yeah. <laughs> how and when. But it showed as well because, I mean, we've been saying that too for the for many issues now that we don't even need him in this. It's freaking awesome with everybody else around him. But it's good to get the issues where it is primarily. Yeah, him. we so need a rem- see- reminder every once in a while. That, yeah, he's in charge and there's a reason why and he can still be freaking awesome. And he is. So I, I still love this. I Freaking mm-hmm. awesome. Okay, what do you got? Um, let's start off with uh, Siege from uh, the Secret Wars series. I, I've talked about this before, how much I'm digging it, how it's really like, like I said, it's Kieran Gillen kind of signing off from mainstream Marvel for a while with bringing back a lot of the characters he's written and a lot of the storylines and stuff. And they've been building up to like this apocalyptic scenario of the wall Yeah, they know it's going to be be breached because since the first issue, there's been a countdown, you know, nine days until the wall falls, et cetera, et cetera. So we finally get to like this apocalyptic scenario and it's friggin' awesome. (laughs) They're sending Cyclops clones to their deaths. Kang is surfing through the time stream on the body of Nick Fury. Like it's ridiculous. (laughs) Ileana and Leah show up riding a giant Colossus. (laughs) It's absolutely ridiculous over the top, but the pacing of the issues overall and this one specifically of like driving the story forward of things are only going to get worse and really creating that tension. And then you get to the end and you realize they're not there yet. <laughs> like it's, it gave you that hope of, Oh wow, they did it of, Oh wait, no, it's only going to get worse. Like I'm really enjoying like the, the pacing and uh, the way that this series is really building itself up. Awesome. Uh, also sticking with secret wars, Thor's. I could have read an entire issue of Thor interrogating Loki. Like the dialogue in that scene was fantastic. I loved it. I'm behind on Thor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they, they finally arrested Loki and brought him in for questioning. And it's half the issue is basically just them in the interrogation room. And it was, it was some great stuff, but, uh, and also the larger story continues to drive forward. You talked about it last week, but I have to talk about Groot. Dude. Go ahead. That issue was <laughs> You take so good. as exactly much time you as you want. The, <laughs> the, the page where he's talking to the alien girl and, you know, she's depressed because, again, of all the bad stuff that's happened in the Marvel Universe and just Groot being Groot. That was such a great page with the giant I am Groot with, you know, all the hope for the future. Loved it. But you forgot to mention the last page. I, there was only so much I could talk about. I would The have gone. last page of Groot number four as of absolute x-men fanboy has to be one of my favorite pages in a long time 
<laughs> where you see like the little shard floating down to the sewer, re-going, regrowing. And I was like, as I was reading it, I was like, no, are they actually, oh my God, they're actually yep. doing it. And they did the homage to the Wolverine from uh, X-Men 137. I loved it. I, I need like a poster size of that page. I agree. Actually, I want, <laughs> I want them side by side. Framed yes. <laughs> the two images side by side. I could Photoshop that shit. I, I now that you say it, I probably will. Because yeah, I saw that and I went, oh, "That is so freaking awesome!" <laughs> <laughs> that issue, beginning to end, was awesome. It's gotten to the point where I'm actually preferring this over Rocket, mm-hmm. which is saying a lot because I haven't hidden my love of Rocket Raccoon, and this every issue I'm reading. Using characters that I either don't care about or new characters that I didn't even know about. And it's like, this team is awesome. Can we get a freaking mini series for just the this team? He shows up and Rocket's like, yeah, now you're going to get it. Here come the Guardians. And who are these? Yeah. <laughs> like, I am grouped. What do you mean you had the Silver Surfer? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, who the fuck are these losers? <laughs> But it's true. It's it's he brings out the best in everyone, and we saw that with Silver Surfer, and now we're seeing mm-hmm. it with these people that who the hell knows who they are. But it's it's epic while still maintaining an insane sense of humor, and that that's funny. That's not like Marvel's take on what's funny that is often way wrong. It's just point blank funny and awesome and. And I can see this as a cartoon. I would watch the crap out of this if this was a cartoon oh, that was just like this. It would be awesome. Absolutely. All right. And then the final comic I wanted to touch on this week was uh, The Wicked and the Divine. I've talked about this as well many times before. Uh, issue 14 was the latest one. And as I've said, it uses modern pop music as a metaphor for our modern day mythology of, you know, these are, you know, who's really worshipped and, you know, using actual gods in the storyline as the pop stars kind of makes it a little more obvious. But Gillen and McKelvey went a step further with that music metaphor of releasing the first ever remix issue. It's one of those issues where, like, it looks back on stuff we've seen before, but it actually uses the art from those old issues, but remixed moving the panels around, moving the characters, moving our perception of the scenes. Like, they didn't use any original art, but it wasn't a recycled issue. Like, it was very unique to the point where they even sampled an issue of Sex Criminals (laughs) because, of course, Fraction, you know, being friends with them, made a joke in one of the issues of them doing a Wicked and the Divine porn parody. So he actually sampled those panels from Sex Criminals and put them into Wicked and the Divine as a storytelling experience and just an experiment in the art form of comics. This was really, really cool. Awesome. And again, it's an awesome series, too. I really like it. All right. In terms of what's coming out this week on the Marvel side, we've got Agent Carter, S.H.I.E.L.D. 50th Anniversary, number one, all-new Hawkeye, number five, Armor Wars, number five, which I maintain continues to be awesome. I love this. Captain America White. I didn't actually look at what is this Captain America White? Remember Spider-Man Blue and Daredevil Yellow? Yeah. They've been promising us Captain America White for like 15 years now, and it's finally coming out. Why White? It's a, uh, Right now, 
bad thing to put as a title when you've got a black <laughs> Captain America and so you're saying true. <laughs> I, when I read it, I'm going, oh my God, that's really not what you want on your freaking combo. That's horrible. Uh, Secret Wars 2099, number one. Secret Wars Journal, number five of five. Spider Island, number four of five. Spider Verse, number five. Star Wars, number nine. Lando, number four of five. True Believers, these are the ones I was telling you about where they are doing homage. Homages to the strong female characters that we have now. So both She-Hulk number one as well as Thor number one. That Thor number one, definitely pick it up. But we talked about this on a prior episode, and it's one of those where we both agree. It really, like, try to read them all in one shot to get caught up, and you will really appreciate the story if you can do that. Because just the one, I don't know that issue one is enough that you're going to go, oh, yeah, she's a badass character. You need mm-hmm. more time with her, and then you realize, oh, yeah, she is freaking awesome. On the DC side, we've got Batman Arkham Knight Genesis number two, Constantine the Hellblazer number four, Injustice Gods Among Us year four number 10, that is the collected one, and Wonder Woman number 44. From Image, we've got Invincible 123, Rat Queens number 12, Sex Criminals number 12, and Tokyo Ghost number one. And from the other... What? Great week from Image. Yeah. We got Gru! How come you never told me that Gru's got a rebooted series? Because he gets a rebooted series like every six months. Friends and foes number nine. I might actually read it. I know it's going to be stupid. But I think you said that last time that you noticed Gru had a comic coming out okay. and you went, oh. It's bad. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Not bad, but it, it doesn't hold up. <laughs> and then Paybacks number one, which is a new series from Dark Horse again, which I read the write-up on it and it actually sounds funny because cool. it's heroes that are spending a fortune on their tech or whatever to use and it's being like repossessed on them because they can't keep paying like there's a picture on the cover of the dude who's supposed to be like batman and they're towing away what's the equivalent of the batmobile (laughs) i was going i'm gonna read that for sure so that's gonna wrap it up for this episode thanks for joining us i hope you enjoyed it like i said check out our gaming podcast at for the lore we had a great episode yesterday and it is available now and tomorrow we're actually recording our next popcorn ronin episode we're gonna have a couple of guests for that as well that's gonna be fantastic and that's gonna be on the uh, fast and furious franchise so that's gonna be great and i'm gonna have that out probably on thursday as well so make sure to check both of those out and let us know what you think you can find the show notes for this episode at comicbookinformer.com and of course you can find us on itunes and stitcher leave us some comments and on twitter at cbinformer and with that we will see you guys next week all right. I'm just in a freaking. Give me another one. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm in full on freaking drunken host mode. <laughs> Somebody bring me on your podcast. <laughs> just go on Twitter. Impromptu podcast. <laughs> Make sure to stop by comicbookinformer.com and let the guys know what you think in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast.